Charisma may bring you success, but only character will lead to significance. This message is the fifth in the series, 10 Lessons for a Life of Significance. The message is entitled, Pass the Character Tests. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go take your Bibles, if you will, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning. We're continuing a series that we started several weeks ago entitled 10 Lessons for a Life of Significance. I'd like to talk to you today about passing the character test in your life. Very important message. What I would say is in these 10 messages, perhaps today is the most important. I would call it certainly the linchpin of all the messages that I'll be sharing in this series. If you don't get this one, it'll be hard to understand all of the others. We're talking about how do you have a life of significance. It's been said that people will live their lives on one of three levels. A lot of folks are living a life of survival, somehow trying to make it from day in, day out, hoping that they get next, next, through the next 24 hours. And I think all of us have been there at times just trying to survive a circumstance or a situation in life. And survival is a good thing. It's better to survive than not survive. But then hopefully we move beyond our surviving life, that is where that's the predominant aspect of life, to a place of success. And by that I mean that we have some margin in our life, we've learned some principles, we're walking through life in a better way because we've learned how to walk with God, we've learned how to uh, gain some uh, accomplishments in life, and so success is a good thing. But unfortunately, a lot of people will stop right there. They think that's the highest form of living. I've moved out of survival and now I'm a bit successful and I think that's really all there is. But really, according to Scripture, as a higher level of living, and it's called significance. There's a really big difference between success and significance. Success is something that happens to you, but significance is something that happens through you to impact the world in a positive way around you and to advance God's kingdom. It's not enough to be successful. What you want to be is significant. In fact, you can be significant without being successful, and you can be successful without being significant. Significant is a whole different level of living. And to understand significance, it's important for us to gain some, uh, some practical understanding of what it means to be and live a significant life. And we do that by looking at some of the examples in the Bible. We're looking in this series at the life of a man by the name of David, King David of Israel, the second king of Israel. And from David's life, we're looking at 10 lessons. We could literally look at 20 or 30 or 40 lessons from David's life, but there are 10 things that I've chosen as a part of this series I feel that we need to focus on in this time together that will help us to understand how to move from survival and success to a place of significance, vital lessons. And one of those lessons involves learning how to pass what we're calling the character test. I'm going to share with you four things today that I think will help you to understand this in your life and help all of us to apply it at a higher level and to a higher degree. And the first thing is to understand that strong character is the key, actually the key, the main key to a significant life. It is the most important thing that you will ever develop, strong character. You know, when you think about creating certain products or certain, certain, uh, certain things in life, they're, they're critical ingredients. I was thinking about the making of steel recently. And when you make steel, the wonderful substance that built, we build buildings with and skyscrapers with and uh, supports our structures, steel is a, it, it requires something of a, an ingredient. It's called iron, iron ore. You can't make steel without iron. They add a little bit of carbon and a few other things in, but the main ingredient for steel is iron. You can't make iron, you can't make steel without iron. And so there's certain things in life that you have to have if you're going to be significant. And one of those things is character. You have to have it. Character is something that's very positive and something that's very desirable in a person. God, in fact, makes it a highlight in our lives, a very important principle for living. What is character? Let me see if I can describe it for you. This is not on your notes, but you may want to write down some references here, some thoughts related to character. Character is really 
who you are on the inside. Character is that inner quality of life that represents a strength internally, that you are a person who is, who is a person of integrity, that you have, uh, you have no duplicity in your life, that in private, you're, you're, you're the same thing in private that you are in public, and the same thing in public as you are in private. There's not two yous, there's one you. There's integrity to your life, that you're a person who is trustable because you have that sense of integrity about you. It's something about the inner core of your being that you're no, there's no shakiness on the inside of you. Character is vital. Now remember this, people with character aren't perfect, but people with character are pursuing perfection. There's a big difference. None of us are perfect, but you can still have character and not be, prefer, be perfect, but you need to be pursuing perfection. And when you make a mistake, a person of character recognizes it and admits it and learns from it and moves forward with their life. David, Israel's second king, was a man of, of, of character. He was not perfect. I think all of us would agree that David was not a perfect man, but he was a man of character because he knew how to admit his mistakes and learn from them and move forward in his life. That's important to look at David in a juxtaposition with his, his predecessor or the king that came before him named Saul. And God eventually removed the anointing from Saul and told Saul his days were over with because Saul lacked this very thing. Saul lacked character. He started out small in his own eyes, but over a period of time, he began to refuse to respond to God and respond to, to the prophet of God, Samuel, and he was doing things his way. And so God saw that something was amiss in his heart. He did not have the character that was necessary, but David did. He saw in David a man after his own heart. He saw character in David, although he wasn't perfect. There was something about this young man that caught the eyes of God because his heart was in the right direction. He had character in his life. You can build your life on your gifts or you can build your life on your character. It's extremely important to understand that a life that's built on gifts will not survive the major test of life, but the life that's built on character will survive. Many people are building their lives on their charisma. They're building their lives on their gifting. And they wonder why they fall in the midst of testings and trials. They fall because there's not a foundation of character internally. Can I encourage you today? You may be a very gifted person, but don't build your life on your gifts. Build your life on your character, who you are on the inside. Why? Because strong character is the key to a life of significance. The second thing that's vital to understand this morning is that success is one of the things that will test your character. Just like steel cannot be produced without iron, it can, neither can it be produced without heat. You have to add some heat to the process that so when steel is being formed, you add in the iron ore and the carbon, the other, other critical elements, but then it's applied, something else applied to the process, that's, that's heat. There's a furnace it goes through, and you must have, to, if you're going to have character to have a significant life, you've you got to have some tests and some trials along the way. You've got to have some heat in your life, and none of us like that part, do we? If you go to school, you're going to find out where you are in your learning by taking a test. If you're an athlete, you want to move to the next level of athletic competition, you have to pass through some trials. You have to go through some qualifications in the process. And it's the test and the trials that will actually make you. They will reveal who you are. They will reveal what you're made of. They will reveal what you're ready for. Tests are vital in our lives. And there are two basic tests of character. Listen closely. How do you know if you have character? You're tested. How are you tested in one of two ways? Both of these ways, actually. You're tested by success and you're tested by adversity. 
Two things will always reveal who you really are is how you handle success and how you handle adversity or difficulty. And David was tested in both of these ways. He was tested by success. He was tested by his adversities. Let's talk about his success to begin with. You might recall that David as a young man conquered Goliath. No one else was willing to fight Goliath, but David shows up on the battlefield and he looks around and nobody's willing to go out and withstand Goliath. But David says, you know, with God's help, we can withstand this man. I'm going to go and fight him. And he, he actually takes the stand, runs toward the giant, and slays Goliath. And of course, at this point in time, he is the hero of Israel, a young man, the hero of Israel. He was the talk of the nation. He was my, we might call him the MVP of the, of the Israel, Israelite Super Bowl. All the news stations wanted an interview with David because he was, the, he was the champion now. And this was a potentially very heady moment for a young man. Think about this. He's a young man. He's got this amazing victory in his life. Everybody wants to, wants to talk about David. All the, he, he's, he's what we might call the goat, the greatest of all times, okay? <laughs> and so it's a testing moment for David because he's now in a moment of tremendous success. How is he going to handle this at such a young age? I want to take you to 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning in verse 20. I want you to see how David handles success. This is after the battle with Goliath. Saul has now uh, brought him into his palace with him, David into his palace with him. Notice verse, verse 20, 1 Samuel 18. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David. When they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Then Saul ordered his attendants, speak to David privately and say, look, the king likes you. He really didn't, by the way. And his attendants all love you. They really didn't, by the way. Now become his son-in-law. They repeated these words to David, but David said, notice David's response. The king of Israel is inviting him into his family. He's inviting him to become part of the royal family, if you will. And now notice what David says. Do you think it a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I am only a poor man. And what is the next phrase there? Little, little known. People are singing in the street. Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. And now your perspective of yourself is that you're still a little guy, that you're a little known. Does that tell you something about David? It tells you his heart of humility. At the end of his life, David writes these words that helps us to see how he maintained this humility throughout his entire life. Notice in 2 Samuel 22, beginning in verse number one, David is about to die. He's passing on the kingdom to his son Solomon. And now he's going to honor God for his life. He begins these words. Verse 1, David sang to the Lord the words of the song. When the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies, from the hand of Saul, he said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge and my savior from violent people. You save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and have been saved from my enemies. You come to the end of David's life and you see this portrait of him. He's still giving praise and glory to God. He starts out in humility and he ends with humility. He knew how to handle success well. Dear ones, let me tell you something today. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people that don't handle success well. For some folks, success will ruin them because they don't have character. You will not be sustained in your spiritual life through successes if you don't have character. Now, I will add this. I believe that God wants you to be successful. 
What do I mean by that? I mean that God wants you to do well in the things that you do. If you're, if you're a father, he wants you to be a successful father. If you're a mom, he wants you to be a successful mom. If you're a business person, I believe that God wants you to experience some success in your life. I'm not talking about a prosperity kind of mindset, but I am talking about a life that is fulfilled by doing well what you've been designed to do. I think it's valuable for us to understand that God wants us to experience success, but God does not want your success to ruin you. It tests your character. And so let me remind you today of six things that you need to do, do, know and do when you're successful. It's vital to us. Number one, when you are experiencing some success in your life, number one, remember who you are and who God is. The psalmist David writes these words in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. The Living Bible, when I look up into the night skies and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have made, I cannot understand how you can bother with mere puny man to pay attention to him. David says, when I look at all you do, God, I realize who I am in reference to you. When you're successful, always remember who God is and who you are. Second thing is remember where success comes from. David understood where his success came from, and he declared this. It's declared of him in verse 14 of 1 Samuel 18, and everything he he did, David did, he had great success. Why? Because the Lord was with him. If you've experienced some success in your life, you know why? Because it's who God is, not who you are. It's because God has allowed success to come your way. He is worthy of praise for that. James 1, 16 and 17, my dear brothers and sisters, don't be fooled every good good present, and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father who made the sun, moon, and stars. The Father doesn't change like the shifting shadows produced by the sun and the moon. Every good and perfect gift came from who? Came from God. And so when you experience some success in your life, and I pray that you will, you'll remember who you are, and you'll remember who God is, and you'll remember where your success came from. And then thirdly, remember this, remember the success is always fickle. You can be successful today and not so successful tomorrow. There are people that used to be on the front pages of magazines as great celebrities, and nobody hardly knows their names anymore. Because there's always somebody new and fresh on the horizon that will come up. There's always someone that's going to be the next great person, the person that everybody's talking about. And so you have to understand that whatever success you have in life, you can't live off of that success. It is very fickle. James 4, 13 and 14 says, listen, those of you who are boasting today or tomorrow will go to another city and spend some time and go into business and make heaps of profit. Be very successful. But don't you have a clue what tomorrow may bring? For your fleeting life is but a warm breath of air that is visible in the cold only for a moment and then vanishes. The fickle nature of success. Number four, the fourth thing when you're successful, remember the people who helped you. You might think that you've arrived at a place of success by yourself, but you haven't. Somebody's helped you on the journey. It's extremely important that we stop and reflect upon not only did God help me get here, but there were people that he placed in my life that have allowed me to experience this as well. And so humble people know how to acknowledge the team that is around them. Humble people understand how to acknowledge the people that have helped them on their journey. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest minds that that has ever lived, just a phenomenal thinker, a great 
apologist, a man that understood the scriptures in a very thorough way and wrote for us many books of the New Testament, including the amazing book of Romans, where he lays out the gospel in a way that you've never seen it laid out before in such a logical manner. He he gives us the story of the gospel, its application to our lives. And yet Paul, this great man of God who influenced the church and, and built many churches and moved the kingdom forward in a significant way during his generation, when he comes to the end of the book of Romans, he spends an entire chapter thanking people. Here's an example of it in Romans 16, 3 and 4. He's finishing up this great treatise, this amazing theological book called Romans, and he says, give my love to Prisca and Aquila, my partners in ministry serving the anointed one. By the way, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. For they risked their own lives to save mine. I am so, what's that next word? Thankful for them, and not just I, but all the congregations among the non-Jewish people respect them for their ministry. And he goes on throughout that entire chapter to name person after person after person after person who has blessed him, who has helped him, the people that have caused him to be successful and the things that God has called him to do. Number five, what do you do when you're successful? Remember, success doesn't define you, character does. Don't let your successes define you. You're not defined by your success. If you're gonna be defined by your successes, you have to be defined by your failures as well, right? You can't choose one over the other. So if your successes are gonna define you, so will your failures. I don't wanna be defined by my failures. How about you? Okay. Nor do I wanna be defined by my successes. I wanna be defined by who God says I am. That means that when I walk through my successes of life, should there be any, and when there are those in my life, as I'm walking through them, I'm grounded because, again, I know who I am, and I know who God is, and I know that my success comes from Him, and so it's not defining me, it's providing an opportunity for me to give glory and honor to Him, and then when I go through the failures of life, my failures are an event, they're not a person, so as I'm walking through my failures, I still remember that God loves me in the midst of this. My failures don't define me, nor do my successes to find me. I am a child of God. When I'm successful, I'm a child of God. When I may not be quite as successful, I'm God's child all the time. It says his identity given to me is what makes a difference in my life. Don't let success define you. A lot of people get into the mindset that I am my successes. No, you're not. You're a child of God in the midst of whatever you walk through in life. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 16, Jesus gave an amazing parable that helps us to remember that we need to avoid this idea that success is who we are. And he told them this this parable, this story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He was very successful. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all these crops, got so much money, don't know what to do with. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. That is, again, you're very successful. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. That is, live in the identity of your success. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself. Do you see again the fleeting nature of success, the importance of not letting it define us? And then number six, when you're successful, this will test your character, but remember that there's a true purpose for your success. I pray, as I said a moment ago, that God will grant you incredible success in your life. If you're a parent, you'll be a successful parent. If you are in a profession, whatever profession you're in, you'll be successful in your profession, that you'll have great opportunities and favor upon your life. It is my prayer, but always remember that when God grants you success, there's a purpose for it. 
In Genesis chapter 12, God spoke to a man by the name of Abraham and brought him from a very wicked, idolatrous place called Ur of the Chaldees, and he brought him into the promised land. He said, I want you to bring your family and come to the promised land. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. Look up at the sky. You see all the stars up there? You're going to have more descendants than all those stars. And everywhere you walk, every place you put your foot in this promised land, this land of Canaan, even though there are enemies in the land right now, I'm going to give this land to you. And every place you put your foot, it's going to be yours. And so God gave Abraham a tremendous, tremendous promise of success for his life. And in verse number two of Genesis chapter 12, as God is unfolding this this plan for Abraham, this plan of great success, God inserts this into the story in verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. Now, I think for many of us, we'd like to stop right there. God, bless me and make me famous. And God even promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I am going to make you famous. But it didn't stop there. He goes on to say, and you will be a blessing to others. You've got to understand that Every blessing in your life is not a blessing for you. You're blessed to be a blessing, okay? Every success that comes your way comes so that God can use you in a way that is greater to touch the lives of other people. I think part of the reason many of us don't experience the full success that that God has in store for us at times is because God can't trust us with it because we end up consuming it on ourselves and living in the context of it. And God says, no, when I bless you, I always bless you to be a blessing. I heard a statement many years ago that I've tried to live by and remember this in my own life and can't even remember who said it, but it really stuck with me. And the statement was this, if God can get it through you, God will get it to you. See, most of us want God, get it to me, get it to me, get it to me. And God says, if I can, if I can get it through you, then I'll get it to you. What that means is when God is able to get blessing through you, he'll pour blessing to you so that you can be a blessing to the people around you. That is a life of significance. Success will test your character. David passed the test of success. He maintained humility in the midst of all the successes he had in his life. Did he have ups and downs? Yes, he did. But he maintained a heart of integrity, a heart of character, even through the highest moments of life. Number three. Third thing today, adversity builds and reveals your character. David had many successes, yes, but he also had a lot of difficulties, a lot of of challenges, a lot of pain in his life. I'm going to talk to you today about two of the aspects of pain that David experienced. We'll talk about them fairly quickly. So I want you to listen closely to this part because there's major lessons for us in this. After David had this very high moment of conquering Goliath and everybody's singing his praises in the streets, right after this, everything turned south on David because Saul, the king, the first king who he was serving, David was serving under, becomes extremely jealous of David and wants to actually kill him. So let's pick up the story. The story of David conquering Goliath is in 1 Samuel 17. So let's now go to 1 Samuel 18 and let's see what starts to unfold after this amazing victory when David is the MVP. He's the Super Bowl, if you will, of Israel's champions. And let's take a look at what happens next in his life. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this? He said, they credit David with 10,000s and me only with thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. 
So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul. Let me explain that to you just for a moment. What that means is this. That means that Saul had so hurt the heart of God and turned away from God that he actually opened himself to demon possession. He now becomes a demonized man. And he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day. So David was serving in the court of Saul at this time, playing the harp for a musician. But Saul had a spear in his hand. And he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. Now, I want you to think about this. This great victory has now just happened. People are singing about David's victory. He ends up in the palace of the king. And now his boss becomes a madman, tormented by a demonic spirit. Now, you may have a bad boss, but you don't have a boss like this, okay? I mean, when was the last time your boss threw spears at you, okay? So here's David in this environment, and he's now trying to deal with this, and he's facing an immediate onslaught of adversity. Chapter 20 of 1 Samuel, Saul is now talking to his son, Jonathan, who is the heir apparent to the throne. And notice what, what Saul says to Jonathan, as long as that son of, Dave, son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. So here's what happened. David realizes that Saul is going to kill him. And he realizes, I've got, to, I've got to protect myself. And so he begins to run for his life. He begins to flee into the hillside of the Judean caves in the wilderness there. And he runs from Saul as Saul comes after him. And, Saul, and David didn't run for a year or two years or five years. David had to run for his life for 10 years. A whole decade of his life is spent running around, hiding in caves, trying to avoid Saul's anger and Saul's jealousy and Saul's intent to kill him. There's a particular moment in time when David gets in so much trouble and Saul is heavy on his heels and, and about to overtake him that, that David says, I don't know what to do. Where can I hide? And he makes this decision. He decides that he's going to actually leave the territory of Israel and he's going to go back down into the territory of the Philistines. And so he goes to a place, place called Gath for protection. Now, you have to remember something about Gath. Gath was the hometown of a man by the name of Goliath. David has just recently killed Goliath, and so now he's going to Goliath's hometown. Would you agree? Bad idea. But nevertheless, he feels like I'll be safer with the Philistines than I will be in Israel because I don't know how Saul is going to find me, who will turn against me. And so he goes into the territory of the Philistines, and he hides there with the, with the king of Gath, Achish. And notice the story in 1 Samuel 21, beginning in verse number 2, very important part of this this unfolding history, I'm taking you somewhere with this. So David escaped from Saul and went to King Achish of Gath, but the officers of Achish were unhappy about his being there. Isn't this David, the king of the land? They asked, isn't he the one the people honor with dances, singing? Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. David heard these comments and was very afraid of what King Achish of Gath might do to him. So he pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down on his beard. Finally, King Achish said to his men, must you bring me a madman? We already have enough of them around here. Okay. Why should I let someone like this be my guest? So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Notice this. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt, who were just discontented until David was captain of about 400 men. David fled to Gath 
because of pressure and because of fear, and he ended up in trouble, and so he has to leave there, obviously, because he's fearing for his life that Achish may end up taking his life, so he feigns and pretends to be a madman, and finally Achish says, just get out of here, get away from me, and he goes back to the cave of Adullam. Say it with me, the cave of Adullam. You can say it, come on, the cave of Adullam. This is extremely important in this history of things. He's been pursued by, by Saul. He's tried to escape. They won't have him in, in the Philistine territory, obviously. And he goes to the cave of, of Adullam, which was near Bethlehem, which was his hometown. And he hides in a cave there, again, the cave of Adullam. And 400 men who are in trouble and in debt and discontented all show up at the cave saying, David, we want to follow you. Now think about this for a moment, okay? You're already in trouble, and you've got a bunch of troubled people showing up with you, Okay. You don't have any money. You got 400 guys in debt showing up at your house. Feed me, okay? That's what it implied. You're going to be our leader. That means you're going to get, get us some food. They're all, dis, they're all rebels, okay? They're messed up people, okay? I mean, these are the dysfunctional of the dysfunctional, okay? This is like the highest tier of dysfunction that shows up to hang out with David, okay? So now he, he, he's in this cave, and he's going through this extremely difficult time. And what I want you to see, that while he was in the cave of Adullam, he writes a psalm. And when you open up the pages of your Bible and go to the book of Psalms, you can turn to Psalm 56. And this is the psalm that David wrote when he was in the cave of Adullam. It's going to reveal to us his character. Why? Because adversity shows you what's really in you, correct? Right? Right? Success will test your character, but adversity will test your character. And so here he is in Psalm 56. He's in this cave. Notice how he writes these words. Oh, God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I am constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he's promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? They're always twisting what I say. They spend their days plotting to harm me. They come together to spy on me, watching my every step, eager to kill me. Don't let them get away with their wickedness and your anger, O oh God. Bring them down. You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know God is on my side. I praise God for what he's promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he's promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. Let me just ask us all a question this morning. If you were going through at that moment all that David was going through in that moment in his life. Could you have written a psalm like that? I think my psalm would have sounded something like this. Oh, God, why have you done this to me? I've tried to be a nice person. Now all this happens to me. God, where are you in the midst of all this? Perhaps that might be the same kind of psalm you would have written, but not David. He still declares his trust in God. Why? How could David write a psalm like that? Because he had something in his life called character. He had something in his life that was called an integrity with God. Only one word can, can describe it, his character. Let me take you many years later. David faces another major test in his life, many other tests in between these two, but we're toward the end of his life now, latter part of his life, and out of the issues that occurred with, with his family, uh, 
breakup and issues that happened there. There was a son that was born to, to David by the name of Absalom, and there was a lot of tension between him and his brothers, and there are a lot of different reasons for that I don't have time to go into today. But Absalom one day decided, I'm going to take the kingdom from my father. I hate my father. I don't want to be around him anymore. And so with family tension, his son, Absalom, said, I'm taking David's kingdom. So he began to establish this conspiracy to undermine his dad's authority. So he's going to take the kingdom from his very own father. It was a bad time for David. And eventually Absalom gains such strength that he actually chases David out of Jerusalem. There's a great picture of David leaving, as you read in Scripture, leaving Jerusalem through the Kidron Valley up the Mount of Olives, weeping because he's having to leave and weeping because of the heartbreak over his son who's now rebelling against him. And in fact, as he's going out, of the city of Jerusalem, there are people that are throwing stones at him and cursing David, the man who had slain Goliath many years earlier. Now he's being cursed by his very own people. He goes out away from Jerusalem, and eventually what happens is Absalom is, is killed, and David eventually returns back. But in the midst of that season, as he's fighting this battle with Absalom, he writes another psalm. At least most scholars, many scholars believe that he wrote this psalm during that period of time. So you got the picture here? His son's rebelling, trying to take the kingdom. David's hurt deeply because of great adversity in his life. And he writes these words, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And notice the statement of faith, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can I ask us another question this morning? Had you been going through the same kind of thing that David went through in that moment, his very own son trying to take the kingdom away from him? Could you have written a psalm like that? The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not sure I could have. But what does that show to us about David? It shows that he had something on the inside called character. Dear ones, let me remind you this morning that in your life, the most important thing that will allow you to experience a significant life is strong character. And your character is going to be tested by successes. How do you handle your successes? And your character is going to be tested by your adversity. How do you handle your adversity. Let me give you one final point as we're wrapping up here in about, about two minutes here. Last thing I'd share with you today is that passing the test of success and adversity always requires one basic thing. It requires trust in God. Character is built on trust in God. There's a central theme in the, in the Psalms of David. We read them a moment ago and you read them throughout his Psalms. That was trust in God. And let's see if we can define what it means to trust in God. To trust in God means that, that you've actually put your entire life in God's hands. That you have a confidence in God that he's well able to handle everything that you go through. And so whatever you're facing in life, your successes or your adversities, you now have a constant trust in God that you put your life in his hands. That's what it mean, meant for David. That's what it means for you and for me. And so we have to come to that place of saying, God, I, I give you my life. I trust you with my life. It's not about me. It's about your faithfulness. It's about your goodness. It's about the fact that I can always be confident in what you're going to do. The Apostle James writes about this in James 1, verse 2. Dear brothers, as your life full of difficulties and temptations, then be happy. 
For when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow and don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is, in, is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything strong in character, full and complete. Listen to this from the Passion Translation. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your, your faith is tested, it stirs up power, character, power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will, it will release perfection to every part of your being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35. Who then can ever keep us from Christ's love for us? When we have trouble or calamity, when we're hunted down or destroyed, it is because he doesn't love, is it because he doesn't love us anymore? And if we're hungry or penniless or in danger or threatened with death, has God deserted us? No, for the scripture tells us that for his sake, we must be ready to face death at every moment of the day. We're like sheep awaiting slaughter, but despite all this, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us enough to die for us. For I am convinced, and by the way, that word convinced is a, an extremely a powerful word in the original Greek language. It means I'm totally persuaded. You, you could not change my mind about this, for I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't. The angels won't and all the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away. I think we ought to pause right there and just take a little praise break for this moment. Aren't you glad about that? Our fears for today, our worries for tomorrow or where we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing will be able, ever be able to separate us from the love of God demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ when he died for us. Dear ones, that's trusting in God. That's knowing that God has it under control. Strong character, it's the key for a significant life. It's gonna be tested by your successes, by your adversity. But what will always get you through and build the character that you need in your life to have significance as a constant trust in God. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray today? Father, thank you for your word this morning. We're grateful for the reminders today of what it means to have a strong character. Lord, we know that all of us have weak places in our life. And not a single one of us here today that's totally strong on the inside. We have times that we, we don't trust you as we should. We don't have the same kind of confidence that David had in these moments. But we ask you to build this into our lives. That we'll become stronger in you and more committed to building the character that you called us to live with. So we can live the significant life you called us to live. Seal these words in our heart by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. 
I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.